everyone. Welcome back to Horror Hughes. I'm your host, Shanika Pishi. So I'm really excited about today's episode. It is going to be about Panamanian culture, urban legends, and history. So for those who may not know, I am Panamanian. My family, both my parents, are from Panama, born and raised. And, um, you know, when I was younger, I kind of struggled with it, telling people that I was Panamanian, because when people hear that you are from a Hispanic, Latin American country, they assume that you are going to look a certain way, i.e. white. So I would tell people like, yeah, I'm from Panama, you know, Hispanic, whatever. And they'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Or they would point to my skin tone. Um, You know, obviously I'm a black woman. Now we know better, we call ourselves Afro-Latina, but that was definitely something I struggled with when I was younger. I remember even one time I had circled in on like a test or something that I was Hispanic and they changed it to black. Um, So I remember just kind of, you know, just being uncomfortable telling people about my background, my history, and then I don't speak Spanish fluently. So that was like, I couldn't even prove it to them, be like, yes, I am Hispanic and I can speak it. Um, But now, you know, I've always have loved Panama, have represented it, but I used to be apprehensive sharing with people and now I just don't care. Um, Speaking of, you know, (laughs) Panamanians where we uh, love and celebrate everything about our country, just about, I remember, um, I think probably what Panama is most notoriously known for is Noriega. Uh, He was a dictator like late 80s, early 90s. I remember my dad had a People Magazine article and he had it for years and years, like 10, 20 years. It came out like maybe 90, 91, had it like 20, 30 years. And I remember reading it and I was telling someone, you know, about it. And they were like, why do you have an article about Noriega? I was like, listen, us Panamanians, when it comes to Panama, we like acknowledge celebrate recognize anything like we're driving down the street and we see someone with a Panamanian flag we're screaming out Panama you know if we're on a boat and or you know my mom's like taking cruise and she takes a picture of a Panamanian flag we're celebrating that's just what we do we just celebrate Panama so anyway today's episode like I said we're gonna be diving into the culture the history and urban legend of Panama and what I I'm excited about this episode is because I interviewed my parents and I did it separately and I asked them about two well-known um, figures, characters of Panamanian culture. And the first one is the Tuli Vieja. And she is more known um, as La Llorona uh, from, you know, the Mexican culture. But um, I remember hearing about her when we went to Panama, I believe I was like maybe nine or 10. And then the second person I'm going to be speaking about is Cristo Negro, which is the Black Christ. Like I said, I interviewed both my parents separately because I wanted to get what they both remembered and then do some research later because I didn't want them to kind of like feed off each other and be like, no, this story and that story. So we are going to start off with the Tuli Vieja. And so I am just going to, like I said, discuss what my mom said, what my dad said, what I remember, and then the research that I did. So when I asked my mom about the Tuli Vieja, I asked her her initial thoughts, and she says, it makes me scared, because when I was a little girl about elementary age, someone said that they saw her in the tree, and this person was really shaken up about it, and they didn't even want to go to school, 
and from what she recalls, school was canceled that day. She grew up in fear of her, and I asked her what age she was when she first heard about her. She said she couldn't remember, but she was fairly young, and she heard it from her mother and just heard it in passing. And it was told as a story as she got older, but to her, it just felt like a reality, so much of a reality that she felt like she could see her. And I asked her what the Tuli Vieja looked like to her. And she said, black hair in her face, and she could hear her crying, shrieking, and calling out for her baby. She was dressed in clothing that was a bit decayed, that it was a dress that was like white, creamish at long time, you know, kind of long, but just kind of like frayed and um, worn out. And to my mom this day, like when I was talking to her, like you could tell that the Tuli Vieja is still a real fear to her. So my mom's origin story on the Tuli Vieja was, she was a woman, she was washing her clothes in the river and she had her baby with her. And she placed her baby on a rock and while she was washing the clothes, a current came and washed the baby away. At night, she would go to, to the river, the Tuli Vieja would go to the river and would be crying, wailing, looking for her baby. My mom says that she could also sense when a home may have a baby and then she would go to that home and attempt to snatch the baby. And then even during the day, she would go to the river looking around for the baby. And um, she says the majority of the people had the same mentality that she would come and get kids. So that was just kind of what was told. And she said that it was probably more like um, just getting threatened with it. You just kind of keep kids in check. Like, you know, the Tuli Vieja is going to come and get you if you don't behave. Or, you know, if you go and do this and you're roaming free, the Tuli Vieja is going to go get you. Which is interesting because, you know, where they grew up in Panama, they were more than welcome to roam free. Um, I kind of had that childhood as well. You know, come home with the streetlights are on. But just like a fair warning, you know, watch your back where the Tuli Vieja is going to get you. Um, so like I said, my mom still has that fear and she instilled it in me. So when I first heard the story was when we were actually in Panama and they, again, was telling me about a woman. She was washing clothes down by the river. I recall telling me that, um, them telling me that it was the Panama Canal and, um, you know, she was washing the clothes. A current came and washed the baby away. And so when someone else would be there with their baby, washing clothes, the Tuli Vieja would have her face covered. She would take her hair and throw it back and her face was just scary. It had worms and snakes and all type of nasty things on it. And the mother would be so terrified, she would run off, leaving her baby there, causing, um, allowing the Tuli Vieja to take the baby. So when I asked my dad about the Tuli Vieja, he said that it originated in the 30s around La Chorera, and a lady was washing on the river and her baby was beside her and the river sweeped the baby away. She got panicked and she stuck her head into the river, into the river and started searching for her baby. The woman had long hair because he was telling me um, of the tribe that lived kind of like on the coast. I believe it's Daguna Kuna tribe, which I found out that my grandmother was part Guna. They say it either Guna or Kuna. I've seen it spelled both, both ways. I'm sure when my parents listen to this, they're going to be like, why did you say it like that? 
Sorry, mom and dad. Um, anyway, so she, you know, she had very long hair. And so when she stuck her head into the water, the hair is like getting in her face. You know, she's trying to move it out the way, trying to look underneath the water at the current, trying to see if she can find her baby. So once she comes back up out of the water and removes her hair from her face, her face has changed and she had stuff on her face. I asked my dad what kind of stuff. He said, I don't know. She just had stuff on her face. I asked him how old he was when he first heard about it. And he said he was about five or six. Everyone talked about it. And I asked him if he was scared of the Tuli Vieja. And he said, not really, because he says that happened in the interior of the country. And he lived in the city. And he said only people that lived in the country of that area were a little bit more terrified, um, were really told more of that story, you know, being passed down to them. And again, like he said, as like my mom had said, when kids misbehaved, the parents would tell you that the Tuli Vieja would get you. So I did some research on the internet and got some different stories. And I found this interesting and it's not saying that the internet is right or wrong or our parents are right or wrong. I think this is what's great about urban legends is how they start one way and then the story changes with them. So I found this on uh, the USC Digital Fork Folklore Archives. And it says there was this girl who was very beautiful and she had a secret relationship with a guy in her town from which she got pregnant and a little boy was born. Then she drowned the boy in the river to make up for her premarital relationship sin. After that, God punished her by making her the ugliest monster possible, making her face like a colador, um, like a pasta strain strainer, where her hair came out of the holes. And like her hands, they turn into claws and her feet turn backwards. So I'm getting more of like a harpy look from this explanation. And she spent the rest of her life looking for her son in the river. And the legend is, is that she still hounds the river looking for her son and she will take her beautiful form while sitting by it and any noise will bring out the ugly monster. Another thing that I read, and I am going to link all of the um, information in the show notes. I found another site and they had some information as well. And it says the Tuli Vieja is a hybrid of a woman and a hawk similar to a harpy. And like La Llorona, she is said to wander the earth looking for her lost child. She responds to the cries of newborns and will feed any baby she might find from her breasts that are always lactating. She seeks to punish lustful men. When a man is attracted to her charm and round breasts, they will meet a terrible end being shredded by the creature's hawk-like claws. In one of the most popular versions of the legend, there was a girl who was very beautiful who had a secret relationship with a guy in her town from which she got pregnant and a little boy was born. And some stories say that there was two, depending on the version you heard. Then she drowned the child or children in the river to make up for her premarital relationship sin. After that, God punished her by making her the ugliest monster possible and um, kind of the same information as before with her hands turned into claws and her feet turned backwards. So I find it's like very interesting how the story has went from something to be like keeping kids in check to then keeping women in check to being like, don't have sex before marriage. I mean, because that's society, right? All right, well... Moving on to Cristo Negro. So he is, I'll share my experience with him. He is a black Christ. We saw him when we went to Panama. He is in Portobello 
and I still remember the feeling of seeing him for the first time. So I remember walking into the church and the church at the time, it was, it was getting built up. Um, cause I remember looking up and seeing that I can see the sky, that the roof wasn't complete. And he is behind this enclosure, a glass enclosure. And I mean, he is, he's a vision, you know, um, you get up close to him and he's, first of all, he's black. You're like, whoa, okay. Jesus is black. And he's got on this purple robe and he's got this big old cross over his left shoulder and his eyes. Like, I feel like wherever you walked, those eyes just followed you. And he's got blood, red tears streaming down his face. He's got this ornate crown on him. The robes have jewelry on it. I mean, it's it's haunting, beautiful, scary. It's just all of the emotions at the same time. And I remember them telling me that they would bring him out once a year. And from what I remembered, they said that they would try to bring him out. Sometimes he would come out, sometimes he wouldn't. And I was under the impression that they were actually like carrying the statue and they were like on their knees, carrying him, crying, him, crying. And if he didn't want to come out, it was raining and people would just like be on their knees, carrying him, crying while it was raining. I remember while we were there, there was a couple and I think the guy was maybe like an ex-gangster or something. And he was giving offerings to Cristo Negro and lighting candles and my grandfather's um, wife at the time she had told a story about how there were some thieves that went because okay so the story is that there is from what I remember that there was jewelry um, buried outside of the church underground and that these thieves tried to get to it and the next day when people came in for church, the thieves were up front in front of the altar, kind of like frozen, like stunned. Um, and that's because they try to steal from the Cristo Negro. So that is my memory of him. So I asked my mom about Cristo Negro and I asked her her first thought. And she said, Jesus of Nazareth. I asked her the first time she remembers seeing him. And she said, when we went to Panama, on a family vacation and like I said I believe that was like 92 93 and she said that you pray to him and they have what is called Amanda and that's M-A-N-D-A and in English it roughly translates to command but what it is is that you would ask him for something for example like if you cure my cancer I will do this for you so it's kind of like bargaining with the Cristo Negro so you leave something worth value. It can't just be anything. It's got to be something of value or exchange. You know, people would fast, um, you know, whatever they could offer, they would offer it to him. She says that they have a day for him in October and that people will literally get on their knees and carry the statue. Sometimes he wanted to get out of his enclosure and sometimes he wouldn't. And then it would rain showing a sign that he wasn't happy. And I asked about the history and what she remembered. And she said that there were three Jesus statues and they were all going to different locations, different countries. 
the boat capsized and he was found floating with the, in water and that is how he ended up in Portobello. And then she told me that my grandmother, so like I was saying, my grandmother is part uh, Guna slash Kuna and they are the indigenous people of Panama. If you ever saw my grandmother, she was bright light, damn near white. Um, so she was part of, like I said, the indigenous tribe of Panama. And so when she was little, they would go and see Cristo Negro. And my mom told me that there was one time that there was, she was on a boat with eight people on it and it capsized. Everyone did make it, but that is what happened one time on the trip to see Cristo Negro. So, you know, something like that happening could be a sign of, you know, like he does not want to be bothered this year, but because people are so dedicated to him, like they are literally willing to die to make this trip to go see him. And so, um, my, like my mom was saying that, you know, my grandmother, her family, um, they just really believed in him and his power. And my mom said that there's pictures of him in the house when she was younger and she was scared. And I asked her how she felt the first time seeing him and she said, powerful. And she wasn't sure if it was a good power or bad, but it was just powerful. And that she was scared and he was just staring and looking and it came to a point where she didn't want to look anymore. And I do remember there was something like she didn't want to be in the church anymore. And my dad was just like, oh, come on, you know, just like, it's fine. And <laughs> marriage, am I right? So I asked her about some stories that she heard and she heard some um, more mainly from my dad. And I will get into that more when I get to his portion. So she said that boxers would go to him and tell them about their upcoming fight. And if they would win the fight, they would bring their gloves or give him money. And she said lottery winners would be like, you know, if they won, they would just like throw the tickets in there. Because like I said, he's kind of like an enclosure. She says they would throw the tickets in there uncashed. And, um, you know, if they made a promise to him, they would keep that promise. So, again, I asked my dad, Cristo Negro, first thought. And he said, Nazareno. And that means Black Nazareth. And he says it. he came about between the 17 to 1800s. There was three of them and they were coming on a boat and they were going somewhere and he wasn't sure where. He said Nazarino was supposed to go elsewhere and the boat capsized. The Nazarino was floating in the water. So I wanna give you a visual of Cristo Negro. So his right hand, is kind of up by his chest with the palm facing towards his chest and the left hand the elbow is bent um, again the palm facing towards his face and so my dad said that um, you know when he was found floating in the water you know it kind of looked like he was floating walking on water coming towards um, Portobello, you know, so just again, visualize this black Christ with left hand up, the other one by the chest, and he's just kind of floating slash walking towards water. And he came to Portobello on the 21st of October. And my dad said, you know, they believed fiercely in him 
in that area because he says there was nothing but black people living in that area. So I looked up some more information and black people first came to the coast of Portobello enslaved and they were brought by Vasco Nunez de Balboa and he's got a big ass statue in Panama. So just like a lot of people in America have big ass statues they don't deserve, Balboa has his. But after revolting and fighting for their freedom, um, they settled in Portobello and on the coast. And so when they saw him coming toward the coast, they took this as a sign and people started praising him. And my dad said, he is a bad dude. And when my dad says bad, he kind of means like a badass. And he goes, when he doesn't want to get out of the church on the 21st, he will not get out. So how my dad remembers it, it's about 20 men, 10 on each side, and they do a chant. And it's two to the front, three to the back. And he's like, you know, whoa, one's going that way. Whoa, one's going the other way. And so they're just like in perfect cadence and perfect motion. And it looks like, again, they're kind of mimicking how Nazarino looked when he was floating towards the coast, just in that motion of just coming towards the people of Portobello. Um, my dad says that the legend is that the other Christ went to Puerto Rico and the other one other, um, ended up in either Brazil or Venezuela. He said that they came from Spain as a gift. He said there's actually now two Nazarenos and one is in the basement. Um, so they switch him out, you know, to decorate him. And that he came through Isla Grande and it's like a canal-like. So that's kind of where he floated through. And in fact, we went to Isla Grande when we were in Panama. Again, you have to get there by boat and there is another statue that is there in the middle of the water. And I believe that statue is kind of there as just like as a dedication to the Black Christ. So my dad said um, that they brought him to Colón. He was about 12 or 13 and they carry him on a platform, something kind of like what they used to carry like royalty on back in the day. If you saw um, when Prince William and uh, Kate, when they, did their tour like a year or two ago and they were still being like hitched up and carried and people were like, this looks terrible. Kind of something similar to that. So um, my dad says, you know, when he passes by, people get on their knees, they pray, they throw money. I asked my dad what his first thoughts were when he saw Cristo Negro and he said, damn, Christ is black for real and that his aunts needed to take down their pictures of the white Christ that they had hanging up in their homes. <laughs> he told me that some attendees um, walk to Portobello uh, and when they get into the city of Portobello, they start to walk on their knees and that they start this journey a day or two before the 21st of October because depending on where you're coming for, from, the journey is 55 miles or 23 miles. And he once again talked about Amanda, the offering. And he said, you know, I promise I will wear a purple robe to resemble, honor the black Christ. You know, they wear a purple robe and like kind of like the gold rope around their waist and, you know, a rosary. And I will wear it for an X amount of time if you do this for me. And he says that people would buy the lottery and say, if you make these numbers come out, I'll give you half. 
and if the numbers came out. Um, he says what happened is that the pastor would go and cash in the money and the pastor would either, you know, tell the clerk or whatever, or that they would know that this was a dedication to um, Nazareno. So they would kind of punch a hole in that ticket um, for people to know. And then that ticket, they would go and place it in his enclosure. So he told me about a boxing champion champion named, I'm going to probably say it incorrectly, Ismael Laguna. And he beat Carlos Ortiz, who was a Puerto Rican. And when he won the championship, he donated his golden gloves. He said other boxers have went, um, Roberto Duran, Ernesto Marcel, Enrique Pinder, they would go and they would give offerings. And he talks about a singer. And my dad has some of um, his albums, his CDs. Ismael Rivera. He's a Puerto Rican. He went to jail for cocaine. And he promised Cristo Negro if he got out of jail, he would never do that again. And like I said, um, he actually wrote songs about him, dedicated his life to him. You know, he got out of jail and he held up his side of the bargain. And I asked my dad what would happen if people didn't fulfill their side of the bargain. And he said things would happen to them or their family. I asked what, he said, I don't know, probably died. He wasn't too sure. <laughs> um, like I said before about the jewelry, I remember being told that the jewelry was like buried outside, but my dad says that the jewelry is down in the vault. My dad also said that a lot of people thought he was a Christ for the criminals because a lot of like local gangsters, mugglers, burglars, and drug dealers would come and ask for forgiveness. And so this was a funny story that my dad told. He had a professor back in school who believed in the Nazareno. And my dad wasn't a fan of this professor because the professor was giving my dad lip and my dad was giving even more lip. But back then the professor had the power and I think he was like going to fail my dad just because my dad didn't know how to shut up. And so <laughs> his professor went ahead and made the pilgrimage on the 20th, um, in October to go see Cristo Negro. And it was like a couple of days and you know, the professor wasn't back. They heard about like a boat flipped over. Some people died. And my dad was like, oh, wow, my professor was one of them. <laughs> well, anyways, days later, my dad walks into the room and sees the professor and the professor's like, yeah, uh-huh. You thought you got rid of me that easily. I'm still here. So <laughs> that's just kind of a funny tidbit about it. And then my dad told another story about there was a rich lady who lived out there in Portobello. She didn't believe in the power of the Nazareno. And so she wanted to bring in, he says like a big brass bell just to kind of be like ostentatious, um, just to kind of show like I'm bigger, I'm badder. And so she was on the dock and she saw them bringing in the bell and I guess she was kind of helping them like maneuver, bringing it in. Something happened, rope snapped, the bell fell down, crashed down on the dock and killed her instantly. So the information that I found online about Cristo Negro was that he was thrown overboard when a boat was trying to lighten its load. So like the boat had no idea what was in there. They're like, let's just get rid of this. 
and a wooden box was found and inside it was the black Christ. Another legend says that he was found floating in a box in the sea and at the time there was an epidemic of cholera in Portobello and when the locals placed Cristo Negro in the church, the disease eradicated immediately. So, and then there were still kind of, they weren't sure about the timeline. Some said 1600, some said 1800s. So I'm gonna go with what my dad said about sometime the 17 or 1800s. Um, so about the festival, it is held on October 21st and it is held in Iglesia de San Felipe. It is a Roman Catholic parish church located in Portobello, Panama. And so also my grandmother actually grew up Catholic because I was always, question that because you know I just know Christianity that we're Christians but she converted when she came to America but she did grow up Catholic because that is you know the predominant religion for Hispanic culture so um his color comes from a material which is cocobolo which is a hardwood um and it's found in Central America the black Christ robes are changed twice a year and each is used just once. The statue is adorned with a red wine colored robe for the Black Christ Festival and then it is changed to a purple one for Holy Week and many of the robes are donated anonymously. Some are simple and others are quite ornate done up in gold trim. Um, as I mentioned before, some people walk, excuse me, the 53 miles from Panama City while others walk the 22 miles from Sabanitas and a lot of them will crawl the last mile. I found pictures. I mean, people, they're, they're literally crawling, like crawling, um, not even crawling, just kind of dragging themselves across. And I just kind of feel like even if you are not someone that is religious, just seeing an image like that is just so powerful because I feel like no matter what, everybody has something, someone that they want to believe in and just to put so much love and dedication into something, I don't know, I just, I feel like it's very powerful and beautiful. So mass is called at 6 p.m. on October 21st and at exactly 8 p.m. 80 adel, eight, excuse me, hello, 80 able-bodied men, so it's not 20, maybe it was 20 back when my dad saw it, but from what I saw online, they say it's 80. Carry the men, carry the men. Mass is called at 6 p.m. on October 21st. At exactly 8 p.m., 80 able-bodied men carry the statue from the church to begin a four-hour parade around the community. It is a carnival-like atmosphere. So the pairs, the bearers take three steps forward, two back, in a similar manner to that of Spanish religious procession. I think I may have said that incorrectly the first time. But unlike those in Spain, the procession has a Latin American twist. And, you know, music is being played, there's prayers happening, um, the bearers have freshly shaved heads, they wear purple robes and have bare feet. It is a distinct honor to be chosen to bear the Black Christ, an honor paid for by sore shoulders and aching muscles the next day. But again, these people believe so deep in him, like a momentary time of being discomfort is absolutely nothing to what he will give to them in this life and beyond.
at exactly midnight, the saint is returned to the church. And um, one story says that it is um, impossible to return the crass. One story holds that it's impossible to return the black Christ before midnight. Um, so yeah, that is what I have on these two historic figures, de Tuli Vieja and the Cristo Negro. Um, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed asking my parents about this and just hearing their history and what they remembered, what they were taught. Um, you know, my dad, if, God bless him. Sometimes it's like pulling teeth. And I'm going to send this episode to him so he can listen and hear this. But, you know, I'm asking him his initial thoughts. And he's like, well, look him up. What does it say? I'm like, I don't care what the internet says. I want to hear what you have to say. And then I will go to the internet afterwards. But he gave me a crap ton of information. Thank you, dad. Thank you, mom. Um, so yeah, um, I hope that you guys enjoyed this. Um, definitely do some research, definitely look up photos. Of course, I will be posting some photos and some information on Instagram, you can follow me there at Horry Hughes Podcast. You can email me at horryhughespod at gmail.com. You can look me up, Shanika Pishi. I'm the only one in the world. And like I said, I will put all the show notes, all um, the information in the show notes. And um, until next time, bye. Bye.